Thank you. Thank you. Well, you, you can't help but sing that last song that we sang and realize that it's not so much that we're in the presence of one another as we realize we're in the presence of the great I am. It's humbling. It really is to know that we have come to a place in our journeys which are varied. And, um, and yet here we have this great I am who refuses, absolutely refuses to leave us alone. That's, that's, that's bigger. You can't get that one in our heads. Our, our human brains don't comprehend that. We can only say it. And I've said it. Well, this morning we continue uh, in our study of Galatians under the theme of Jesus plus nothing. Meaning that when it comes to our salvation, there is nothing else we need to do. But by faith in Jesus, knowing he died for our sins, and as the Apostle John wrote in his gospel account, to all who did receive him, meaning Jesus, to those who believe in his name, meaning nothing more, he gave the right to become children of God. This, my friends, is what truly amazed the the, the slave trader John Newton who when coming to Jesus discovered a freedom never known to him before, and he wrote now the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. So this morning I've entitled our thoughts, Freedom, God's Amazing Grace. Now, this morning's message is going to leave some of you questioning. It's it's a hard work to, to go through because... You're kind of speaking out of one side of your mouth when you want to speak out of this side of your mouth. And and you want to say this, but then you want to clarify it with this. But I refuse to do that as much as I possibly can because there's something we have to say to us, the church, that is incredibly important. So it's going to leave some of you questioning. You're going to spend some time throughout this sermon arguing with me, saying a lot of Yes, but, Pastor. Yes, but, Pastor. So I needed to find two terms. Two two terms that are going to get us into trouble and have probably in various ways, particularly when we move to the extremes. Here's two terms. This is just kind of a little square off to the side of of our notes this morning. The first term is legalism. It's a belief that one needs to add certain behaviors in order to get God's approval or required in order to claim your Christian faith. We do it subtly. I I grew up in a really conservative kind of uh, Christian evangelical church, and I had my lines down. I don't drink because I'm a Christian. I don't smoke because I'm a Christian. I don't go to shows. Oh, I can remember begging my mother to let me go to to see the, uh, the shaggy dog with my neighborhood friends. No, no, Christians don't go to shows. Now, what's the problem with that? I, th- I think there's some validity in all of that. If you take it and examine it, there's, there's some reasons my parents and my church were making those kinds of claims. The problem is it said that people who drink aren't Christians. People who smoke aren't Christians. People who go to shows aren't Christians. In fact, I could sit on the city bus as a little guy and watch the Christians or the non-Christians get on the bus. It was really easy. It made things simple. If she was wearing lipstick, mm-mm. <laughs> if she had earrings, no, 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 no. It was easy. You could define a lot of things through some kind of legalistic framework. The second word that we need to understand is the word freedom. 
Because if you take it to its extremes, you have a word, well, the word is antinomianism. Big word, it means no law. I'm in, no problems. Prayed the prayer, now life is easy. I just get to do what I want to do. That's the extreme. Paul helps us with this a little bit. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 11, he said this, and that is what some of you wear. Now, now, who were those people that he says some of you wear? Well, they're these. Do, do you not know, we slip back into verse 9, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, or men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's what preceded the line that says, and that is what some of you wear. Wear. And then he goes on, and he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Verse 12, everything is permissible for me. Now, we, we live in a world that love to stop there. Everything is permissible for him. He's been saved, going to heaven. Paul goes on to say, but not everything is beneficial. And then he says again, everything is permissible for me, but I'll not be mastered by anything. I assure you that wherever we stand in the position of the law, it's still wrong to murder, it's still wrong to commit adultery, it's still wrong to lie, it's still, and on goes the list. The truth is that any sin that we adhere to eventually becomes our slave and they becomes the master. That's the bottom line. And Paul is saying, perhaps you can do it all, friends, but in doing so, I'm telling you right now, I am not going to be mastered by anything because that's freedom, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 12, 22, he says, are we trying to provoke the Lord to jealousy? What would make the Lord jealous? Well, when you insert something else other than him to be the master of your life. Are we trying to provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And then hear, the, hear these words again. Everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is edifying. Now listen to this. We're talking about freedom now. This is, this is the heading I've kind of put in our little box off to the side. No one should seek his own good, but the good of others. There's freedom. Every sin that we embrace, every sin that the Bible defines is all about me. There is no exception. When I sin, it's me. When I sin, it's me. No matter what I am doing or what I'm thinking, sin is about me and who I want to be and my desires, etc. Want freedom? Take your eyes off yourself. Start serving others. That's what Paul's saying here. There, there's where the context for freedom lies, all right? So this legalistic thing, this fear of freedom perhaps, set it off to the side now, but let it be the backdrop for the things that we want to share this morning. Pastor Lee Eklov from Vernon Hills, Illinois, true story then, talks about his first visit to a health club. His friend Frank had, had invited Lee to go with him, and, and, and when they arrived, they entered a room filled with all these weight machines. Pastor Lee had never seen these things before in his life. He'd never been in one of those kinds of rooms, so Frank explained that they would spend a few minutes in each machine exercising all the, the various muscle groups, and then they went along, and, and he showed each of these. He called it the circuit. 
Well, there was this muscle-bound guy in charge, this no-nonsense, tight T-shirt type guy. Picture him. Lee said, he, he walked the group through the use of each machine, and, and after his tour, Pastor Lee sat down at the first one with a few other folks who took their place at other machines. The guy in charge called out. Two minutes on each machine, blew his whistle. And Lee started to pull down a set of handlebars attached to some weights. He pulled down nothing. The weight, was, the weight he was trying to lift didn't budge an inch, so he, so he tried a little harder. Still nothing happened. Well, the t-shirt guy yelled at Lee something like, Come on, you overweight daisy. So Pastor Lee, in his old male ego, he starts to pull harder. He redoubles his efforts, but nothing happened. He said he thought his shoulders were going to separate. He was sweating like a coal miner, he said, until he gave up in shame and he looked down at the machine in defeat. At that point, his friend Frank came over to help him out. And Frank looked the the thing over and and discovered that someone had pulled the pin on the proper uh, weight and Lee had been trying to lift all the weights on the machine, something like about 500 pounds. Well, that was it for Pastor Lee. He gave up. He walked out because he was exhausted by all the useless effort. He left. Here's the point. When it comes to legalistic rule keeping. Here's the point when our God becomes the law that Paul is trying to encourage us to set aside. Trying to keep all the rules all the time is a lot like Pastor Lee's experience with the weight machine. It leaves you exhausted, it leaves you frustrated, and it leaves you ashamed. There's an, but here's another point. There's a better way to live. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Galatians 3, which shows us that better way. We're going to start at Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. It reads like this. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed, faith in in Christ. You you see, there, there was a time when all of us believers were in prison with the law as our prison guard, keeping us under lock and key. Oh, it it was not a a prison with bars and barbed wire, but it was a prison of do's and don'ts. It it was a prison of expectations placed upon ourselves that we could never meet or placed on us by others. It was a prison of trying to measure up to a set of rules in order to feel accepted and loved. But now, because of your faith in Christ, Paul is saying, you are no longer in that kind of prison. You are loved. The doors of your cell have been swung open to their full extent. And if you're still in your prison, it's your choice to stay there. The door has been opened. And you are free. You see, when you trusted Christ, God freed you from the need to perform. 
God freed you from the demands of the law. God opened the doors to any such prison and removed the prison guards. So please, don't stay in your prison cell any longer. Instead, walk out of that prison of perfectionism. Get out from under those unrealistic expectations which can only lock you down, which have in fact locked you down for how many years? I want you to think about that for just a moment. Because somehow we want to argue with this a little bit. What do you mean we walk away from the law? What do you mean we step out from it? We're going to work on this this morning, so try not to panic on me. But I want you for just one moment to think about the sin or sins that you have been asking God to forgive you. You've made your confession for how long? Put a number in there. And I just ask you a simple question. Are you winning? You see, when what we think that we have to do is figure out how to work at this thing harder, it only pushes us farther back into the corner of our prison cell. It keeps us there because of our shame. It keeps us there because of our discouragement. It keeps us there because it's... um, It's just a powerful motivator. And the only verse that I can think of that comes to mind in this context is we're not fighting against flesh. We're fighting against the powers of darkness. And they're a heck of a lot stronger than I am. I would have used the other word, which would have been more fitting, but it might have caused some disturbance. Friends, we're fear. We're we're free. The film, The Shawshank Redemption... Ellis Red Redding spent his best years wasting away in a prison as the result of an act of violence he had committed as a teenager. And after 40 years of imprisonment, Red was finally released to enjoy the long-awaited freedom he wanted so desperately. However, upon his release, couldn't free himself from the habit of asking for permission each time he wished to use the men's room. He had become institutionalized. His new life scared him because he'd grown accustomed to the structure behind bars. Imprisonment had become safe for Red. He he didn't have to exercise his own decision-making. He didn't have to take responsibility for anything. Someone else did the thinking for him, and now on the outside, he faced a prospect more daunting and terrifying than incarceration. Freedom. At one point, in fact, Red contemplated various ways to break his parole and return to the security of his prison cell. It's strange, isn't it, eh? The very thing that holds us in prison, the thing that we tenaciously keep trying to make work, is the thing that keeps us where we don't want to be because we're afraid of freedom. We don't understand the word. Somehow we think freedom is just permission. Somehow we think freedom is just no responsibility to my behavior. No, no, that's not it at all. That's what our world tries to make it, but that's not freedom. The truth is Jesus has set us free. I want to work with this. People caught in the trap of legalism are no different than red. They're scared to death of the freedom grace brings because it's much easier to retreat to ourselves, as I said, of do's and don'ts even though we fail to keep them. It is still in our minds. 
Much easier just to have someone tell us what to do, push us around, maneuver us, than it is to make decisions for ourselves. But that's not what God wants for us. God has freed us from all that. He has placed his spirit within us that we get to listen to. When we attend hearing God's seminars, it's so that we can live within the context of freedom. It's so that we can understand that there's a voice within us that wants to lead and direct us, not to push us, not to condemn us, but to show us the better way. The enemy only comes to destroy and to kill. That's his mission. And through a legalistic manner, he's got you lifting or trying to lift 500 pounds. You think you can every time. You think you can every time. But every time you go to yank on the cord, it doesn't go anywhere. Now, the, the, the enemy comes to do those things, destroying to kill. But Jesus said, listen to this. This isn't about getting rich. This isn't about being easy life. It's just this. It's the essence of freedom. He's come to give us life and more abundantly. The context of abundant living is understanding the track called freedom. Living within the context of a spirit-guided life. So get out of prison and stop listening to your babysitter. That's right. That, that, that's how the, the next verse describes the law. It's not only a prison guard, it's a babysitter. Well, the word it uses here is guardian, but it literally means kind of a babysitter. You see, in Bible days, this babysitter was usually one of the household slaves. Now remember, Paul's basically speaking here to Gentiles who are living in, a, in, in their context. But it, in, in their context, he was given, this babysitter was given charge of his master's sons from the time that he was about 6 to 7 all the way through till he was about 16 or 17. And it was his job to make sure those boys, excuse the sexism here, but remember the age that we're talking in, make sure those boys got to school. It was his job to teach the boys to obey and to, and to discipline them when they didn't obey. And he carried a rod, which he used on the boys every time they got out of line. Sound like anything? Now, there's two kinds of babysitters. Now, now, most babysitters are nice, at least from my experience. At least in the minds of a kid, they were nice. That means you got away with anything. You could have all the cookies you wanted. You could go to bed as late as you want. And you don't have to clean up your toys. And when you were good, you got that kind of babysitter. Usually a high school student from down the street who spent most of her time on the phone. But when you were misbehaving, your parents would threaten you with the mean babysitter. Her name was, well... Let's give her a name. We'll call her Miss Hardcore. Now, the name like that, you, you were sure she was a secret KGB agent. And boy, did she make you behave. You could only have two cookies. They had to be eaten at the table. Yeah, yeah, okay, we're sharing this. Thanks for, yeah. She made you pick up your toys and sent you to bed early even though you weren't tired. And, now you never, and though you never saw it, you were sure she had a big stick hidden somewhere. Where to clobber you when you misbehaved. See, that, my friends, is the law. It's, it's a mean, strict babysitter which threatens you with punishment every time you misbehave. The first babysitter kind of represents that misunderstood sense of freedom. Get what I want. But this second one, this mean, this hardcore, she really represents this conflict we have with the law. This sense of punishment. 
this living under some kind of fear of, of repercussion. And I'm not saying the sin doesn't have its consequences. It absolutely does. And you don't have to just live it. Read the book. It'll tell you that as well. But this morning, we're talking about a good news story for those of you who have trusted Christ because you are no longer under such a babysitter. You who have put your faith in Christ are no longer under the law. You're free because you are loved. You you see, we won't get this law and freedom thing sorted out until we understand that the driving force behind this is this truth. For God so loved the... Yeah. There's no drawing line there. There's no place where he's sort of segregating people into certain groups. There's none of that. He just simply looks at us, the world, from time beginning till time's end, and he gives us this amazing statement. He loves us. He loves us. Not because we're sitting in church this morning, friends. He loves the people down on Manitoba Street that are having struggles in life. He loves the people who are totally ignoring him. He loves those who are living lifestyles that we don't approve of. Father, or friends, he loves the world. And we won't get this law and freedom thing straightened out until we understand the motivation behind what he wants to accomplish is this driving love that he has for us. That was his only motivation for sending his one and only son to die for all of us prisoners. That was it. And as for love, there's only two things you can do with it. You either reject it or you receive it. And you can't earn love. It isn't up for sale, so don't try. So out of respect for the one who has loved us so unconditionally, we determine in our hearts to thank him through our behavior. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. It's not a legalistic pushing. You better obey me. It's this truth that when you fall in love with this one called Jesus, you have one driving force, and that's to please him. And the way you please him is doing the things that he encourages you to do. You follow it. It's a shift in behavior, not out of obligation, but motivated by love. That's our healthy reaction to such great love. It's not a conditional love whereby you will receive it based upon performance. It is love, period. Please find the line between this distinction because it will transform your life. When you can realize that I am doing what I'm doing because I am growing in this love. I'm not doing it because of of some sort of driven guilt that will only push me back deeper into my cell, but because I want to please the one who has done so much for me, whose love has been so unconditional for me. Oh, this is critical. God favors you unconditionally. God accepts you as you are, treats you as his own growing child. That's right. God treats you as his full adult sons and daughters. Look at Galatians 3.26. So in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, there's the context, you are all children of God through faith. When he uses the word children here, remember he's writing to adults. The moment you put your faith in Christ, you not only become a child of God, you become his full adult child. 
That's the meaning of the word children in this context. In other words, God doesn't treat you like little babies in his family. He treats you as his maturing, growing up sons and daughters. I've heard some people say, well, yeah, we start off as children because he gives us the milk of the word and then we grow up into it, uh, into the meat of the word. No, no, that's, that's confusing, the text here. He didn't give you the milk of the word because you were a baby. He gave you the milk of the word because in the same way that when you started university, he didn't put you in class 401. He put you in class 101 because he's got some things he wants to teach you. He didn't force feed us with milk because we're too little and kind of wandering around aimlessly. No, when we entered the family, we entered as adults. And we have the responsibility of adults. We have the, 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 uh, the, the desires and the motivations of adults. When our children were little, let me just back up on it though, we put them under the care of a babysitter every time we left the house. But now they're growing. They're all married, happily engaged in their careers. So it'd be silly for us to hire a babysitter to watch over them today. They don't need it. Those of you who have little children know they require your constant watch and care. They are labor intensive, but let me tell you, it does get better. When your children grow up, it's wonderful to relate to them as adults. You don't have to clean up their messes. You don't have to wipe their snotty noses or keep a constant eye on them anymore. All you have to do is worry. No, just, just kidding. Kinda. The fact is I enjoy having adult-to-adult uh, adult conversations with my children. I enjoy their company when they come to visit, and I enjoy the friendship I have with these wonderful adults. I'm proud of all my children. In fact, I'm very proud of what they have become as adults. That's not based upon performance. That's not based upon career. That's not based upon anything other than that their mother gave me five wonderful kids. And when they walk into my family, the reason I love having them sitting in my living room is because of my kids. That's it. We're not, we're not measuring something up here. We're not defining behaviors. We're not making comparisons. They're my kids. That includes their wonderful spouses who they brought into our family. I'm serious when I say that. Do you know that's the way God feels about you who have put your trust in Christ? God enjoys relating to you as his adult sons and daughters, and he's proud of what you have become and are becoming in Christ. He's not comparing you to the person next to you in the pew. He's not comparing you to, to those who, who, who seem to have different levels of success. He's not, there's no comparison because that makes love conditional. There's no condition in this love. He just brings you into the family living room here of, this morning, and he, he just wants to say one thing to you. I love you guys. That's the message. That's a driving message. That's not a passive message. Oh, that's kind of love fast. We'll just all get together. This is the most motivational um, uh, statement that he could ever make when he says, I love you. And this takes place, all of this takes place because he treats you as he treats his own son, Jesus Christ. You, me. Our mind wants to go to the dark side of our worlds and say, I can't. No. Here's the word. Galatians 3.27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself 
with Christ. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit baptized you into Christ. Literally, you were immersed into Christ, you were submerged into his glory, and you were plunged into his righteousness. How's that for a line? Now what God sees, and now what God sees when he looks at you is the beauty and glory of what Christ has accomplished in you. You are clothed with Christ, therefore you are fully accepted by God before you say or do anything. Let me go into another little side box, may I? Because if you're like me, and I'm not sure where you all grew up from and the things that you got fed as you were growing up, but there's something paradoxical going on. You know what I mean by paradox? It's, it's two opposing truths. They, they seem in conflict. So you've got this truth over here, you've got this truth on here, but they look like the opposites. It's like mercy and judgment. That's kind of paradoxical. But the truth is, not one is more right than the other. They're both right, and we're caught trying to live within the tension of living within two conflicting truths. That's a paradox, okay? Let me give you a paradox here, because some of you might find yourself fighting with this topic a bit this morning. One, God sees us as one made holy and righteous because we've taken on Christ. We don't need his approval. By faith we are his children and a part of his family and he views us through the righteousness of Christ. Amen. Two. On the other side of this paradox, he sees our sin. And as a loving father, he does what every loving father does. He disciplines his children. Why? Because love desires our best, and our best is refined through tough times. So he allows the tough times. But it's all the result of love. If there's anything that can pull those two extremes together and seeing us through the righteousness of Jesus, who is sinless, and sees us in our own reality, is that what he wants to do is bring a person together in his wholeness, and the only thing that brings them together in our wholeness is love. It's the middle one. It's a strong word. It's not a baby word. It's not a wimpy word. Love is a strong, powerful, motivating word. In the Roman world, in Bible days, when a young man came of age, he went through a very significant ceremony. In that ceremony, the, the young man was clothed with a special toga, the toga virilis, which signified his passing from childhood into responsible adulthood. When that boy put on the toga virilis, the whole community began to recognize him as a man, and he was granted all the rights and responsibilities of his citizenship. Was he as mature as the senior man in his community? Of course not. Was he respected as an adult man? Fully. That's the picture we have here in verse 27. When you come to faith in Christ, you put on a spiritual toga virilis. You put on Christ himself, and now God grants you all the rights and responsibilities of full adults, citizens in his kingdom. He accepts you, not only as his child, but as an adult, son or daughter, because you have put on Christ himself. So quit trying to prove yourself because you have already proven yourself by faith through God's eyes. Verse 28. 
There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. No matter who you are, listen, Jew or Greek, no, we're not, we're sitting the Greek side, I guess, slave or free, male or female, black or white, rich or poor, young or old, conservative, liberal or NDP, a fan of President Trump or not, blue collar or white collar. No matter who you are as a believer in Christ, it makes no difference with God. He loves us all the same. Do you get it? Oh, there's things within us that want to fight and resist that, isn't there? Because, yeah, we are connected to the dark sides of our world. And yet, we've got to, by faith, realize that God's doing something far superior than our faint little struggles to get through life. The National Public Radio interviewed Francois Clemens. Anybody know who Francois, Francois Clemens is? I don't think so. He played the role of the friendly officer Clemens on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Anybody there? Okay. Anybody born after 1969? <laughs> it's kind of the, the American equivalent to Mr. Dress Up. Does that kind of help you? It's this kind of kid's show. Anyways, Clemens was the first black actor to have a reoccurring role on children's television series, on a children's television series. Surprisingly, Fred Rogers was clearly going out on a limb to cast Clemens as a police officer. Clemens knew this and expressed his reservations. He said, I, I grew up in the ghetto. And Clemens knew this and, and expressed his reservations. Oh, I'm sorry. He said, I grew up on the ghetto. I, I did not have a positive opinion of police officers. Policemen were sick and police dogs and water hoses on my people. And I really had a hard time putting myself in that role. So I was not excited about being Officer Clemens at all. Still, Clemens eventually agreed to take on the role. And over the decades he spent on the show, there, there, there's one scene in particular that Clemens says he remembers with great emotion. It, it was from an episode that was aired in 1969 in which Mr. Rogers had been resting his feet in a plastic pool on a hot day. Now, now Clemens recalls this. He says, he then invited me to come over and to rest my feet in the water with him. I mean, this is the icon, Fred Rogers. Not only was he showing my brown skin in the tub with his white skin on television as two friends for all America to see, Clemens said, but I was getting out of that. But as I was getting out of that tub, he was helping me dry my feet. Clemens says he'll never forget the day. Rogers wrapped up the program on that day as he always did, and he said he would say this, uh, or. or the way that he always did, he did it by hanging up his sweater and saying, you make every day a special day just by being you, and I like you just the way you are. But this time in particular, Rogers had been looking right at Clemens. And after they rapped, he walked over. Clemens asked him, Fred, were you talking to me? Yes, I've been talking to you for years, Rogers said, as Clemens recalls but you heard me today. It was like telling me I'm okay as a human being. That, that was one of the most meaningful experiences he ever had had. God has been telling some of you for years, I like you just the way you are. I know we get 
that, that dark side in our head says, how, how can he do that? And, and the enemy wants to start giving us the list. The things that are back here that we know are not what God would want to see. And, and yet he's saying, I like you just the way you are. Do you know why he's saying that? Because there's nothing more you have to do to make him love you more. Nothing. So today, wherever you are, he loves you just the way you are. And in your journey as you desire to grow in Jesus a year from now, you, there, there's going to be some adjustments made. But on that particular day, he's going to stand right in front of you and he's going to say, I like you just the way you are. That's love. There's no condition connected to it. He just takes you from where you are and how you are and he puts his big arms around you and he says, I love you. It's what fathers do. We've made this love thing way too religious and way too legalistic and we've put all kinds of demands and stipulations on it so that there's some of us who can't even hear the word and believe it's true. We're so busy trying to clean up our worlds. We're trying to lift 500 pounds of weight on your first trip to the gym. It's not going to happen. Please let this be the day that you really hear him in your heart. Whether you're red or yellow, black or white, no matter what your background, no matter what your struggles, God loves and accepts you just as you are, whether others do or not. There's the truth. Because of your faith in Christ, God treats you as his full adult son or daughter with all your struggles, your wrinkles, because his love is unconditional. He treats you as his own son, Jesus. He treats you all as equally valuable sons and daughters. There's nothing more I can add to that because it's Jesus plus nothing. I can't make this any stronger. I can just tell you that you're loved by him. Do you think when he wrote this, whoops, no, let me go back. When you get your family all together in one room, do you look around and assess everyone based upon their struggles and weaknesses and past failures? Try and decide who you love more than the others. No, you sit with them. You enjoy their presence because of your kids. Just like I said before, you have to hear that one. Here's the kicker. Galatians 4, verses 6 to 7. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out. Is it up there? You are no longer. Let's go on to Galatians 4, 6. Oh, go back one. There we go. No. Go to chapter 4. Go keep going down. I want you to see this word. Yeah. Okay, so I messed up. Here's the word. When he said, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Abba. What's it mean? Just tell me what you think it means. Elvia, what's it mean? Yeah, Papa, Daddy. This intimate connection to someone who absolutely cares 150% for you. Because you're his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls. This is the spirit who gives you permission. I'm not stretching this. Who gives you permission to crawl up on his lap and call him daddy. And no, he's not going to push you away. He's not going to shake his finger at you. He's not going to tell you you could have done better today. He's going to put his arms around you because that's what love does. 
So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you also an heir. Child and heir. You are embedded in the family. Do you think he's just speaking to perfect people here? People who have perfected their human journey? No. No. These people have come out of a truly pagan world and are, you can be sure, struggling with the residual challenges of their past lives just as you and I are. Therefore, just as they were working on growing in Christ and not always getting it right, you have nothing left to prove to God, so stop trying to lift the unbearable weight of trying to earn God's acceptance. You have it. You have it. Instead, understand and know this in your heart. You are free because you're loved. You are free from the constraints of the law. You are free from having to measure up. You are free from the pressure to be this perfect performer because God already treats you as his full adult child. David Siemens, in his book, Healing for Damaged Emotions, describes a missionary who had, made, who had a different view of God. As a result, he ended up leaving the mission field as a, as a broken man. His, his name was Dr. Joseph Cook, who later became an anthropologist. This is Dr. Cook's words, okay, as he's trying to work through this stuff. He said, I invented an impossible God, and I had a nervous breakdown. God's demands on me were so high, and his opinion of me was so low, there was no way for me to live except under his frown. All day long, he nagged me. Why don't you pray more? Why don't you witness more? Why will you, when will you ever learn self-discipline? How can you allow yourself to indulge in such wicked thoughts? Do this, don't do that. Yield, confess, work harder. Most of all, Dr. Cook says, I had a God who considered me to be less than dirt. Or, oh, he, he made a great ado about loving me. But I believe that the day-to-day love and acceptance I longed for could only be mine if I let him crush me near... Let, let him crush nearly everything that was really me. When it came down to it, there was scarcely a word or a feeling or a thought or a decision of mine that God really liked. Well, maybe that's a little extreme. On the other hand, maybe you read along with me. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's been your struggle. It's just this legalistic demand in your life that eventually turns God into almost a hideous monster because this treatment of you is not loving. Invite the ministry team to come forward. Perhaps that's the way some of you feel about God this morning. If you do, I hope that what you heard today changes something inside your heart. I hope that what you you heard today frees you from the pressure to perform in order to get approval so that you can begin to enjoy your relationship with the Lord. Now, I know that in living within a healthy relationship, whether with Jesus, your spouse, your parents, or your best friends, you can't treat them disrespectfully and maintain the joy of that relationship. No, if you hurt someone, it's your obligation to ask for forgiveness and change that behavior. That's freedom too. 
That, that, that's how we maintain healthy relationships. If you're hurt by someone, then you, you have the obligation to, to forgive as he's forgiven you. Jesus talks about that. No, we get that. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about some impossible behavior you think you need to maintain in order to get his approval. Have I said it enough? He does not consider you to be less than dirt. On the contrary, God is pleased with what you have become in Christ. Period. Jesus plus nothing. Period. He likes you. He loves you. Sent Jesus to die for you, along with everybody else. No. We are his friends. We're his family. He does not consider you to be less than dirt, that's for sure. On the contrary, God is pleased with what you have become in Christ. Now, I know some of you are arguing with this because this is, this is huge. This is so countercultural in, in our own kind of cultural context, church. Our human pride and desire is to please, desire to please, keeps trying to put this responsibility to measure up on our shoulders. If we fail, we have to make up for it by being good enough. Can't be done. I hope you heard me say that again. Peter understood this, denied Jesus three times. His soul was buried with its own shame. He knew failure, the worst kind of failure. But listen to what he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, 8, the letter of his. He said this, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. He learned that from Jesus. That's where he got the picture from. No place else would have. George Beverly Shea put it well when he wrote the words to this song. There's the wonder of sunset at evening. The wonder is sunrise I see. But the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me. You are free because you are loved. Work with that one. The ministry team is going to lead us in our closing song. I'm going to go down there, and other prayer team members will come after the song has been sung. And, and if there's somebody here who just needs encouragement, where the battle has gotten big, you're going to come down, and, and, and other people are going to pray for you. I, I just want you to know that the people who are praying for you aren't perfect. They've agreed to become a support beside you, but they have their struggles. But they're loved by Jesus, so they take their place and they invite others to come into their circle. That's the way the church works. And so that's our invitation for this morning, and God bless you.